Welcome to the Diverse Minds Podcast, where we give you the tips, tools, and techniques you need to be a mentally healthy and inclusive leader. Each week, you'll hear about a variety of topics linked to mental health, well-being, and diversity that will enhance both your professional practice and personal well-being. Welcome to the 203rd episode of the award-winning Diverse Minds Podcast. And this episode, until the 17th of August, is all about South Asian Heritage Month. And the theme is Tell Your Story, all about celebrating our diverse heritage, histories and stories. And South Asia is formed of eight countries, namely Afghanistan, Bangladesh, Bhutan, India, Maldives, Nepal, Pakistan and Sri Lanka. And the British South Asian community is over three million people strong, with at least one out of every 20 people in the UK having South Asian heritage. So to kick off, we are talking about celebrating the LGBTQ plus South Asian community with the wonderful Saima Razak. Saima works as the Director of Change and Communications at Birmingham Pride and is the first queer Muslim woman to lead a Pride Parade in the UK. I'm so excited to have her on the show. We've been chatting on Twitter and it's going to be a great one. So Saima, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We are so excited. I know you have been on the tour with the Pride. So um, this is really great to have you on the show. And I'm wondering if you could tell listeners what you're working on at the moment. So at the moment, I'm working on something really exciting, uh, ties in really nicely to South Asian Heritage Month as well. So we have a Mela in Birmingham called Birmingham Mela and Birmingham Pride are teaming up with Mela this year. So it's on the Saturday, the 22nd of July and Sunday, the 23rd of July in Victoria Park. And we will be teaming up with Mela to create the first ever LGBT village on a South Asian festival site. Now, Mela is the biggest South Asian event in or outside of Europe. Um, So this is a really exciting uh, opportunity to show our solidarity and also to to promote and celebrate inclusivity within our communities. Uh, The South Asian community are always stigmatized for being homophobic or being bigoted. Now, there may be people with different views and opinions within our community, but we've got to move forward together. And at the end of the day, whether people like it or not, LGBT people do exist within our South Asian circles. Um, So we've got to work together within our own safe spaces to work together on inclusivity. So I'm really excited to be working with Mela. And if I'm completely honest with you, I never thought that would happen so fast. Um, Mela approached us, you know, and I was really surprised and humbled to have been approached for this partnership. And Simon, I can't tell you how excited I am. So we were having this conversation on Twitter and you said, I've got something exciting to share. Um, so really, really excited. And I completely agree with you. Like this stereotypes, of course, we know there's homophobia in all cultures and communities. That's a sad reality. But I am sick of hearing people label South Asian people in particular, Muslim people don't like gay people. Muslim people don't like gay people. And, you know, we were talking before we were recording and I was saying, actually, a lot of the time people give me examples of oh what do we do if someone's muslim and they don't like their gay colleague and actually in my reality it's very rare muslim people want to get on with it gay people want to get on with it so um i think this is such an important thing to bust the myth so what's the lgbt village going to look like um what kinds of things are going to be happening yeah i'd love to hear more about it so with the mela and the lgbt village so the set is a heveli and um so previously they normally have an artist village on site so we're incorporating that and turning that into an lgbt village there'll be queer artists um and and non-queer artists um it's just going to be a safe space within the festival site for people to recognize 
you know, like I said earlier, the LGBT people exist in their community and probability dictates, you know, we can't get over the fact that at some point you will come across an LGBT person that might be in your family or that might be in your wider community. Now, how you interact with that person is really going to affect that individual in terms of their mental health, if you other them, if you invalidate them. Um, and also an, another thing for me, you know, is I'm also Pakistani, also Muslim. And as somebody who's always worked and been fortunate enough to be in leadership positions, when I'm out in the world of work and out in the real world, you know, actually it's racism and Islamophobia that is my biggest barrier to success um, or advancement of careers. Um, and when I'm out in the workplace, I find that actually other Muslims and other South Asians and other Pakistanis, we have that shared camaraderie in terms of that intersectionality of race and faith, or even if you haven't got faith, none of us can change the color of our skin. Because sometimes we are our own worst enemies that actually we've got bigger problems here. You know, we do experience racism. Unfortunately, Britain is an institutionally racist country and it's the country I was born in. And as a Muslim, I do have to say it's Islamophobic as well. So I think as South Asians, we really need to have our priorities in order because for the next generations, well, I'm nearly 40 now, but for the younger generations to aspire and to become future leaders, um, okay, Rishi Sunak is the Prime Minister at the moment. I don't want to get too political, but you know, Rishi Sunak isn't somebody from a working class background and I'm somebody from a working class background. And when you've experienced struggle, your leadership is very different. And the way you see the world, the way you interact with people is very different to when you've not ever struggled and you've had a very privileged existence. And I genuinely do think that if we can get our houses in order and, you know, be a strong South Asian community and nurture the future generations, make them understand equality, inclusivity. Also, you know, misogyny is an issue that we can talk about within our community. Then we will be stronger and the future generations, you know, will really thrive. You know, even on TV, we don't have um, great, we have a few amazing people. We have Adil Ray, we have Mira Sayal, and I'm sure I've missed out lots of names, but we still aren't there. You know, they're still kind of, it's as if it's a tick box, you know, we've got what we've got one, we're not authentically represented. So I, I honestly think that if we can be stronger as a South Asian community, we will thrive more in um, Britain. And that's without the likes of Rishi Sunak. Yeah, here. <laughs> and for those who don't know, Haveli is a traditional Indian Pakistani uh, house. It's uh, beautiful with, um, I was about to say, Kotrelo there, uh, filigree and uh, all done really beautifully. Um, yeah, and that was designed by Shine Dougal, the uh, creative producer we're working with at Mela. She's amazing. Oh, brilliant. Well done. Oh, thanks for the shout out. Um, so, Saima, what was your journey to becoming an LGBTQ plus activist? And please only share what, what you want and what you feel comfortable with. Oh, don't worry. I've spoken so much. Everything is out there now. Um, so on a personal level, my mum asked me at 29. And so we had a personal conversation and, you know, dealt with that. And then she was fine after that. And I think, I, I don't know, but I will presume she told like my aunties, and maybe maybe my nan because all of a sudden the marriage question stopped and it wasn't in a negative way they just stopped and i thought well that's a good thing you know if anything else 
And then I just, you know, carried on. We're South Asian community, we're a modest community. We don't talk about relationships. I'm such a prude. You know, I'm not somebody who likes in kissing on the street or anything. I am pretty much modest and prudish, both British and South Asian. Um, but at the same time, what happened was I saw protests on the news and I saw particularly the Pakistani community from Birmingham, communities that I was part of, um, and seeing people I know interact with these posts as well. And then all I was seeing to counter that was a group of white queer people um, and, you know, with the best intentions, trying to do something because here again, they were under attack and under threat. So, you know, they were like, you know, now it's these people attacking us. For example, now it's the Muslims. And um, that for me was a moment of shame because, okay, I wasn't that open about my sexuality. Like my private life was my private life. I didn't need everyone to know my sexuality. Um, but at that point, I don't know. I just was ashamed. And that's what I said to my mom. I said, I'm ashamed that it's Pakistanis doing this. Haven't we got enough to deal with? You know, now people are going to laugh at us about this. And then I don't know whether it was naively or not so naively. I'm ex-BBC, so I was really lucky. I got into a graduate scheme with the BBC when I graduated. So I've always like felt at home. I don't know if that's a good thing or not at BBC, in particular BBC Birmingham. And um, Seema Katecha got in touch during the protest. So again, it was a South Asian woman that got in touch. I trusted her because I knew she and she would understand my nuances. And she was just like, oh, Simon, you know, we need, I knew what she needed. She needed an alternative voice. So, um, yeah, she interviewed me and it took me a while to actually physically say, for the words to come out to say, yeah, as a gay woman, okay, I use the queer umbrella now, but you know, it's the same thing. And it, I, she kept saying, Simon, you need to say that. So it took, a, and I'm not somebody usually who's lost for words, but I guess I was nervous. And I did that interview, went to bed and thought to myself, oh, it's um, local news. No one's going to watch it. It's all right. Um, but the message will get out there. I just comes up, the message needs to get out there. But it's okay. Anyway, the next morning, like, you know, millions of notifications on Twitter. And at that point, I wasn't very active on Twitter. And all of a sudden, you know, people were celebrating in this joy and um, saying, yeah, queer Muslims exist. And anyway, that was it. It was out, right? And then I thought I'd better tell my mum because she, her thing has always been, I don't want to hear from other people. We have a good relationship. So then I um, <laughs> sent her a WhatsApp message and she ignored it. And I thought, oh God, like tumbleweed, you know? And I thought, oh my God, at least respond. And then I just kind of caught it at home, walking through the corridor or something. And I just said, oh, did you get my WhatsApp message? And then, you know, then came the moment. Well, what are you worried about you know and she said oh well what are other people going to think and you know family my mum so just to give you the context my mum was a child bride she was 40 married at 14 um and you know really struggled with that and, and she just had a really difficult life and she was the first woman to get divorced in our family and community I said to her, when have you ever cared about what people think and so then also my brother as well, you know, I have a good relationship with my brother and I had to just make sure to spend more time at home. So what I decided to do was talk more about if I was going out to do an interview or, you know, to do something to do with the, I would tell them and I would share the journey with them and 
when I share my story, I talk about my family because my family are the most important part of my life. So anyway, that went on and on. Um, and then I ended up getting a job at Birmingham Pride as the head of diversity and inclusion, now work as the director of change and communications. Um, so that's all happened. It was a whirlwind. Um, the protests weren't a nice time. Um, I've had hate from both sides. I've had hate crimes from what I would presume racists. Um, and then I've had hate crimes from homophobes as well, you know, so people like me, we really are stuck in the middle, but I haven't lost faith in our community. Genuinely have not. And this Mela partnership really reinstated that for me. But I never lost faith in my community. And look, here they are. You know, always people are coming to me to say, well, you know, let's do something, let's talk about something or let's create something. And I'll be completely honest with you. The only people, hand on heart, the only people who truly understand me and have either supported me or listened or uh, created opportunity are South, South Asians and particularly South Asian women. Because I think as South Asian women, we at home, you know, we are constantly battling the patriarchal narratives, even the best parents with the best people in the world, you know, they still have an element of this traditional patriarchal narrative that we all have to, you know, we fall into. But then when we go out into the world of work, we get the same thing, we get racism, we get misogyny. So we, we've become, I just feel like South Asian women, and it, I can only speak about South Asian women because I am a South Asian woman, but I do feel we have this extra resilience that because we've had to learn at home and then we've had to go out into the workplace and just be discriminated constantly, you know, and yes, you know, um, black women will understand this as well. You know, I'm, I'm not sure white feminism always understands this because they don't have the intersectionality of faith, uh, sorry, race. Um, yeah, that, that's, a, a, that's the thing. I honestly, I, if I ever need anything or ever need to trust someone with South Asians, and I know, so even if it's just like if I've got a car and I need something fixed, I know if I go to a South Asian uh, garage and like, you know, usually there's a brother there, I'll just speak to him, explain the situation. And I, I feel safe, like I feel an element of trust because I feel they understand me. And, you know, people don't say no. People don't other me and say, no, we're not going to serve you or we're not going to sell you a sari or we're not going to sell you bangles. People treat me just the same as they do everyone else. So thinking about that then, the term pride. So what does the term pride mean to you? So pride is really a protest. So unfortunately, as a queer woman, I am still deemed illegal. My existence is deemed illegal in many countries, including the country of birth of my parents, which was Pakistan, which, you know, is quite shameful, really. And one thing that racists or Islamophobes will always throw at me as a queer Muslim is, oh, well, why don't you go do this in Pakistan or Afghanistan? And inshallah, one day I will go to Pakistan. I got, I'm not scared to go to Pakistan and I'm not scared to talk about inclusivity there. But we do have to be real when we talk within this space of, you know, looking inwards. We do have to recognise that our communities have a long way to go. They might not want to change. But the reality is something's going to have to give because LGBT people aren't going anywhere. You can't ship us off to some invisible island or, you know, just ignore us because we exist and we are very much part of society as everyone else. Um, and as a Muslim, 
I'm told not to judge people. So why are people judging me? You know, surely there's enough, like we live in such a difficult world. Surely there's enough to worry about than having to worry about, oh no, look at, you know, I've heard, it's really awful. I've heard like people say the alphabet agenda or the alphabet people, it, it's so offensive. Like, you know, LGBT people are just people like yourself. And end of the day, if one of your siblings one day or nieces or nephews or anyone that you're close to comes to you um, a bit vulnerable and says, you know, I'm part of this community, are you going to open your ears and listen and try and change or are you just going to banish them or you know, some people go as far as disowning people? I've heard some really horrific stories of how queer people have been treated from in particular South Asian queer people have been treated by their family uh, families and that's another reason why I really celebrate my family because I haven't had that and you know we've as South Asians and I can give you an example of, of my family you know my mum and my dad didn't have a great life and um, my dad isn't alive anymore but migration to this country was the worst thing that could have happened to him and I, I'm going to be honest it's this country that killed him and there's been you know marriages failed marriages in our family so many things have happened but we've learned from that trauma we don't have arranged marriages anymore nobody gets forced to get married you either get married or you don't like it's up to you you know and we've learned the hard way from that trauma my mom had to be a child bride like for me the most difficult thing for me to come to terms with in this world was the fact that my parents had such a difficult time and i was the product of so much hurt and trauma. And I'm sure my brother feels that too, but he doesn't, doesn't open up as much as me. But coming out the other side and using my faith, using my Islam to make me understand that everything is a lesson and everyone has a mission in life. Everyone has a goal. And you know, the bad things that happen to you happen to you so that you learn and you've got to learn. And yeah, all the bad things that happened to me or my parents, I had a lot of love. I had a lot of love for my mom's family and I can't say that they ever let me see any trauma. That's why as I became a teenager, as I got older, it was suddenly coming to terms with all of these things. It was very difficult. Whereas my sexuality was just like, oh, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> oh, okay. That, you know, I always used to think, oh, I don't fancy boys or it's just because these boys are stupid or, you know, I'll, I'll find better boys. And you know, you just think actually when you realize that, oh, I'm not attracted to men, I'm attracted to women, that bit was really easy. Unfortunately, though, for our community, it's the other way around. They're too obsessed with all the other traumas and not working through the traumas. You know, some families have still got generational trauma from partition. And then from partition to migrating to this country that caused that bloody partition. And so we need to start talking about the difficult things um that will and I know for me it's made me a better person and it's helped me see the world better and be optimistic and be hopeful and be inspired by life is by recognizing that yes you know difficult things do happen but none of us have a choice of who we are in this world um you know God made us the way we are if God didn't want me to be queer I wouldn't have been created queer you know so that that for me isn't a test all the other things were a test. My mom being forced to uh, be a child bride by patriarchal Muslim society. Yeah, that, that's trauma, that's difficult. My dad come into this country and then 
a successful banker in Pakistan and cutting foam in a factory here because nobody recognized his skills. Yeah, that's trauma. That was difficult. My sexuality, no, no, that just makes sense. Yeah, thank you so much. And I really appreciate you being really open about your mum's story. And the other thing um, to mention is that, of course, being forced and being a child bride is very different to some people really trust their families to find them someone. So I call it family organised marriage. So, yeah, and because I think the word arranged has just got it spun off, hasn't it, and become its own thing. And absolutely, we need to be tackling forced marriage. Um, Everyone, it's not just a South Asian thing. Um, uh, But and I think that uh, I'm really keen that people stop, not not you, obviously, Simon, but people stop thinking all of us have flipping forced and arranged marriage where some people decide to have family organized marriages and it's great that it's changing so it's really really great that you're saying you either get married or you don't and you know my culture is different my slice of South Asian culture is different to yours um yeah and I I always joke and I just think my family can't be bothered they couldn't be bothered to lift a finger and find someone for me so the thought of them having to organize something they'd be like what you want me to do what um so so, me and my mom uh, um always I have this argument right so and not an argument it's a discussion so like my mom is a feminist but she doesn't understand that or doesn't want to admit that she's a feminist and I talk about forced marriage I don't talk about introductions and you know arranged it's not arranged marriage it's introduced marriage like you said what happened to my mom though is was forced marriage and my granddad everyone learned that that wasn't the right thing to do um but yeah my mom always like the same thing she says no it's not uh, arranged not arranged like introduction I said there's nothing wrong with introductions you know I've seen friends have introductions and have beautiful marriages it's just that case of just knowing that everyone has a choice and men and women because you know we I've seen young boys be forced into marriage as well so we need to recognize that in the extreme circumstances that does happen but yeah absolutely introductions what's wrong with that you know most people have that in society so yeah I agree with you on that and that's a nuance that you're absolutely right that I should be aware of as well and we should all be aware of when we're talking about South Asian people. Thanks Saima um, and then thinking about workplaces you know what do you think workplaces need to do to consider because I, I do feel my experience of working with and alongside LGBTQI plus staff networks is that they are very white majority and white dominant so what our workplaces should they be doing and we're talking about South Asian heritages because of the month but of course we're talking about global majority communities as a whole in terms of the principles but what do you think needs to be better what needs to be done and obviously being there having been the head of diversity and inclusion for Birmingham Pride I'm sure you were having these discussions all the time and I think um, you know when it comes to inclusion in the workplace it needs to be intersectional and I worked at the BBC, worked at the Royal Shakespeare Company, lots of amazing companies. And unfortunately, leadership isn't intersectional and it needs to start at leadership. And if you haven't got those paths um, to leadership, you know, within your own uh, workforce, then you you need to seek out those people. And I always get frustrated when people say, oh, the talent just wasn't there. We know the talents there, but actually what what employers and um, businesses need to recognize is unconscious bias and recruitment processes um, are very discriminatory just from the outset. Um, So I think having the right people in the right roles is really important. One of the things about being LGBT or LGBT networks in the workplace is people need to rethink what does it mean to be part of this community? So, for example, some people will 
might be out at work but not out at home you know so how do you how do you work with these nuances how do you create a safe space for people who don't celebrate their sexuality or you know their gender identity the way you do also another thing is understanding that you know some people will not be out their entire lives and that's okay too so it's making sure that there's nuances in these conversations and in particular for south asian heritage month you know it's finding someone as well within your organization that wants to lead on this and giving them the pathways and the resources and the tools to, to create that and it doesn't really matter in terms of you know whether they're a manager whether they're frontline whether they're a senior manager we should inspire everyone to create change where they can so i think within south asian heritage month and you know we've got a few weeks left um within south asian heritage month yet i think it would be great to have spaces for south asians safe spaces within the workplace for them to talk things through themselves because things are going to be different one workplace will be different to another but you can't retrofit inclusivity into everywhere um but it's recognizing the most important thing is recognizing that everyone's different and it's okay not to want to be out not everyone wants to be out and also sometimes it's not safe for be for people to be out and i think south asian communities also need to really recognize that our solidarity needs to lie with the black community we are a global majority community and we all face racism and within our own south asian community we have colorism which is a massive problem so you know we really need to start thinking about alliances you know with wider communities and as a pakistani i'm always frustrated about the lack of inclusivity in pakistan for religious minorities you know, christians hindus sikhs we have lots of minorities in pakistan and another thing a lot of people don't realize the white in the pakistani flag was created for minorities has to represent minorities so you know sometimes we need to go back to the beginning to understand what our principles were to move forward and yeah inclusivity was always there for our communities it's just we seem to have got warped in time yeah, thank you. Really, really great tips, really helpful and um, practical things to think about. And of course, you're incredibly busy. You are, you know, you you do lots and this is this is your lifeblood as well. So your values are very involved in your work. So how do you look after your mental health? What are your top three tips that you'd like to share with listeners? Um, so I think don't take anything to heart. You know, if somebody, a keyboard warrior might say something on Twitter or Facebook, you know, don't let it go to heart but also don't embed yourself into this stuff. So if you want to change the world or, you know, when you promote equality or inclusivity, whatever it is, just find something else to love. So I love art, I collect art, I love surrealism. And so I've always got something else to dip my head into, or I can just sit in front of a painting for hours. My mom always thinks I'm really strange. <laughs> and, but that, that for me is escapism, you know? And so you find something you love, and also just surround yourself with the people you love. So my family make me or have made me the woman I am, but they continue to support me and elevate me. They're there for me. Um, they might not always understand my queerness or all parts of me, but they're always there for me. And I think you need to find your people. And it is unfortunate. Sometimes you don't have that love from your family. And if you don't, sometimes moving away 
is a good thing. Distance does help. And find your own tribe. You know, if you are part of the LGBT community, the best thing for me has been finding other South Asians um, who understand what it's like to be LGBT, but understand the nuances of what it's like to be South Asian and also those who are Muslim as well. So you've got to find, you've got to build your community where you can, and those people will lift you up. Stay away from negative people. There's nothing wrong with having a small, closed inner circle. You know, you can't trust everyone. And unfortunately, sometimes people don't have your best intentions at heart. So yeah, find find your right people, but find something you love as well. Find a passion. It could be music. It could be art. It could be reading. It could be anything. Or even just walking. Go for a walk in the park. Just do something that opens up your mind and makes you think of something else. Beautiful. Thank you so much. And if people want to contact you, know more about your work, I will, of course, include these in the show notes. How should they get in touch? And of course, um, anything else you want to say about the Mela this weekend? So the Mela, it's very cheap. You know, tickets are from £2.25 a day, I think. Yeah, it's amazing. I I see for Lahore. So I see for Lahore is headlining on one day at the Mela village. And they've got an amazing South Asian lineup on the main stage, including Sukshinda Shinda, who I absolutely love. Um, so yeah, please do come down. Uh, it, it's a time. It's a time for us all to get together, and for those who are local and may want to have a conversation, I'll be there all weekend. And you can just contact me on LinkedIn or Twitter. I'm very public on social media. Perfect. Thank you so much, Simon. What a conversation. Really appreciate it to kick off the month. Um, Take care, listeners. And next week, we were talking about what kind of South Asian are you? So don't forget to join us then. And until next time, take care. Thanks for listening to the Diverse Minds podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you access your podcasts from. You can also connect with me on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Tune into next week's episode of the podcast, where I'll bring you more insights on mental health and inclusion. Bye for now.